Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. Let's do it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. And as Matt Green said, maybe in the cold open here, let's do it, because I hit that record <laughs> button before. I didn't. I knew he was going to say something with that swig of water he takes before each and every episode. But uh, my good friend down there in Decula, Georgia, Philly University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is uh it is good to be back. It was a uh, it was a great November weekend we had, I think, mm-hmm. uh in the college football world and just in general. Got a uh, got a little cold last week, but uh mm-hmm. Saturday was perfect. Perfect football weather. I think that was the best uh it was definitely football weather a uh, little bit. It got really hot actually uh here in Tennessee. Like it was sweaty yesterday. Uh I don't know what it was like in Athens cuz you were at the game. You were at uh, Georgia Mizzou. So it felt like football weather for you. Was it when it got the sun went down and started to feel like that or were you hot to begin things? What was it, it was, like? It was uh it was honestly perfect. Yeah, I was uh brought a in my in my 30s, you know, I'm a little more uh mature with these things. So uh mm rocked like uh jeans and like a short sleeve shirt like up there but it's like mm-hmm. I had to had to change of clothes in the back seat you know just in case had to had to feel it out and so right. i went like shorts and like long sleeves and it was like yeah probably like i don't know high 70s by a kickoff like low 60s by by the end of the game it's like it was it was pretty ideal okay well, tell us about it. Tell us about your weekend. Uh, you and Tori going up to Georgia Mizzou. What it was like, the game day experience. What did you do? What did you see? What was it? What was it like? And especially in comparison to the week prior in uh, Jacksonville for for the Florida game. Well, see, it's a it's a whole different experience. So we we actually played it real low key because we're not a far hmm. drive from from Athens. So it was like we. You know, we're kind of watching the games on, on the way up uh, up to Athens. But yeah, I mean, you kind of got there like an hour or so before and just hung out for a little bit and then uh, and then walked into the stadium. But it was so definitely not the same vibe that the cocktail party is. But obviously, that's still still going down in Athens. I just wasn't really a part of it. Uh, the, the tailgating scene uh, this week. Well, the seats look good. Uh are you and Tori yellers? Do you get involved? What is what is Tori like am during I, the game? Am I a yeller? Absolutely, sir. You okay. gotta you gotta be a part of the crowd. That's why you're there. You know, it's not mm. a it's not a wine and cheese crowd. You know, if you just wanna you just wanna watch the game, you, you can go home. You can you gotta if you're in the building, you gotta make some noise, get that home field advantage. Well, your voice is intact, so that's good. You you didn't lose your voice over the weekend. Oh no, but I mean, yeah, I'm a professional. We uh we we do these things. Okay. Um, is Tori also a yeller? Have you gotten her to the point where she's yelling at the games? Because Sam is not um, my wife. I don't 
I don't know. She's kind of, I guess. It depends. It, like, we're going to the Georgia-Tennessee game in a couple weeks, so I'll see what she's like there. But I don't know. I think it's more of like when good things happen. I think we cheer. She, We have a good like triple high five that we do um, that I'll do with her. Yeah. But uh, I don't think we're... Yeah, to answer your question, mm-hmm. yeah, she's definitely a yeller. She knows, she knows okay. the role of the, of the fans. We, uh, mm. we got we to gotta do our part. That's interesting. I, uh, I'm i just not, I don't know. I've gotten more and more uh, as the years have gone on here in Knoxville. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just never going to be like a, a loud. I'm just not a loud person <laughs> in general. And I'm a pretty reserved, uh, quiet person. I think that's probably the biggest misnomer about me is that I think people assume because I do a podcast that I'm an extrovert and a big time extrovert. But I'm actually pretty, pretty introvert. And as you know, North Georgia, I had my headphones on walking around uh listen to podcasts, kind of doing my own thing. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, for me, when I go to stuff, uh, when I go to games on Fridays and uh, high school games and stuff like that, I'm just, I, I don't know. I keep to myself. I'm just kind of, I, I don't really react like that. At a high school game though. I mean, yeah, you're not, you're not going to go nuts. I mean, you're not rooting. You're, your kid's not playing. You're, right. you're not, you know, you're not involved with it. You're there to cover a game or whatever yeah. the case may be. But yeah, when you're sporting your home team, you gotta you gotta be going nuts. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I it's uh, I I think I suffer internally, or I celebrate internally, where I like I'll turn away and I'll just be like, and we'll see how I feel uh two weeks um against the dogs when they come into town following a a big battle that we'll get into this weekend because it's a it's a superb slate uh, coming up uh, here uh, this weekend. But I mean, this week, this past weekend turned out to be just great all across the board where there really wasn't any letdown spots uh, from the opening uh, part of the day at noon all the way down to the late evening. There was just a lot, a lot of good games um, this weekend as we finished up week 10 here, Matt Green going into week 11. But uh, don't forget, folks, uh, if you have not already, uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, first off, thank you for checking out the show. Pod Divided here on the Chase Homes Podcast, the college football show that we do twice a week uh, during the college football season with Matt Green from the University of North Georgia alumni. Matt Green, go Night Hawks. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe this video if you're watching us on YouTube right now. It helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. Speaking of that, make sure if you're an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener, you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify right now if that is indeed how you are listening to show, to these that wow to this very show and have not already done so you can also email us at chase podcast at gmail.com and uh, check out the website yeah the website it's great um new big all that good stuff chase podcast.com matt green uh how did we do going into week 11 this week and uh putting a bow on week 10 Oh, man. So uh, I was excited. Uh, I, I knew I had a good week, you know, and I thought surely <laughs> I uh, I made up some ground in the standings, but not so fast, my friend. So uh, I was nine and two overall on the weekend. The only two losses were Kansas State and Texas A&M. Mm. Uh, both teams just so close to pulling the upset, too. So I was nearly 11 and 0 overall uh, on the weekend, but seven and four against the spread. So Another solid showing uh, for myself, and surely that would be enough to make up some ground. But no, Chase Thomas over here also went nine and two, mm. and even better went nine and two against the spread on the weekend. Ooh. So you had your uh, your your first, your, probably your two worst weeks of the season in weeks eight and nine, and then you uh, bounced back in a, in a big way. So. It was uh, the only, let's see, the only games you missed uh, overall, uh, win-loss-wise, uh, Oklahoma and Miami, and then the only two you missed against the spread would have been Miami and then Georgia. So mm. you did have, like, you were nailing all, almost all of the ones. You had Texas winning, but Kansas State mm. covering. You had Ole Miss winning, A&M covering. <laughs> uh, Oregon State winning, Colorado covering. Iowa winning, Northwestern covering. So, uh, well done, good sir. Mm. It was a, it was an excellent week uh, for you. So, on the year, you are seventy four and thirty six overall. I'm seven and four, seventy and forty against the spread. You are what is that? Sixty three, sixty three, forty three and four to my fifty eight, forty eight and four. So, 
four game lead overall for you, five game lead against the spread. And then Zeus. Oh man, I almost forgot Zeus. Biggest story mm. of all. I told you it was a home dog kind of weekend. I'm not sure I actually I prefaced our pick'em by saying it was a home dog weekend. I don't know if I if I gave an official home dog. Mm. Zeus was three and oh on home dogs over the weekend. We had Oklahoma State winning outright, NC State winning outright. And Arizona winning outright. Boom. 11 and 3 on the year. 78.6% Zeus with his home dog of the week. Shout out to Zeus. Great weekend uh, for Zeus on the front. Absolutely. Um, we like to see it. We like to see it, Matt Green. Um, speaking of things we uh, don't like to see, because this was tough where I've gone back and forth on what to do with this because the family, they're like, well, we cheer for Tennessee and Georgia. Like, we we do it for you. And I'm over here like, no. Every week, I'm waiting for a dog loss. Waking up on Saturday, and I'm like, absolutely ah. not. Because, look, Georgia going down to Mizzou helps helps Georgia, Tennessee be a bigger deal in two weeks. Um, Still a big deal. We'll see how Old Miss goes on Saturday, but it would have been more help uh, if Mizzou had taken care of business in Athens, but that's part of the rivalry. Like, I don't know if you're like this, but I've never understood the whole SEC as a whole when your team's not playing. And when you, uh, when Florida's playing and in, then in the spot, like you're not rooting for Florida. You're not like, I want Florida to beat Mizzou. If that helps, uh, if even if that uh, makes our path to the SEC championship that much worse, just because you have a significant other that went to Florida. No, that's not how it works. Like I, I don't want that. That's uh, it's not how it's going to be each and every week. I'm not, I'm not uh, pulling for the dogs. Well, it at- depends because there's, there is an element to, I want a bigger game atmosphere. So you beat somebody like, I want them to win all our game, all their games. So they play mm. us. So our schedule looks better. Like there's part of that. That's obviously like, that's when you're in control of your own destiny. But sometimes you you mathematically need someone to lose. True. So it's like at this point, Tennessee, the Georgia-Tennessee game is not going to decide the SEC East if Georgia doesn't lose uh, to Ole Miss next week. So mm. if uh, so, obviously in that situation, then Tennessee is going to root against Georgia. So that's the that's their preserving any hopes of, well, of uh, also, getting the SEC championship. How would they get in even if? they beat Georgia and Georgia loses the old miss because the tiebreaker would be Florida. Cause y'all beat Florida and Tennessee lost to Florida. So I don't even know how Tennessee can still win the, no, East. but that's only if that's only if it's like a three-way tie, like oh. Florida's down there. They have three conference losses. There is Missouri obviously, but Tennessee would have to have beaten Missouri in this scenario. So no, mm. that if, if Georgia loses to Ole miss, then lose to Tennessee, that would be their second conference loss. And Tennessee's the only other team with two conference losses. So, so it wouldn't that would matter that the tiebreaker. That they, okay. So I was wondering, because I was thinking, like, because they would both have two conference losses, they would look to see how they could break it up. And the way they would break it up is um, the Florida game that Tennessee lost and Georgia did not. Um, so that's well, interesting. No, it's just, no, it has nothing to do with Florida, though. I mean, it's just about the head to head. Yeah. They have the same record, and then Tennessee beat Georgia head to head, and that would be. That would be it because Missouri okay. would have a third conference loss if they lose to Tennessee. So True. they're they're out of it. Kentucky, Florida already have three conference losses. So so we're, it's still very much in play. Only a 11, 12 point line. It opened up uh, for Georgia Ole Miss. Game day will be there next Saturday. But here's the problem with that. Like this is night where game too. Big night game and Tennessee back to back CBS. So I'm sure the family's uh, very thrilled about Gary Danielson calling back to back Tennessee games uh for them uh always a favorite from in my family but um yeah back-to-back uh cbs games uh for tennessee and then uh we'll see what happens over the next two weeks but that will be this preview show getting into georgia old miss at night under the lights in sanford and then uh tennessee mizzou uh solidifying number two going into georgia week next week um where tennessee is now a favorite by two uh playing their best ball of the year so we'll see how that goes for tennessee and columbia as well uh matt green let's first talk about your dogs because uh we don't really uh, i did the vol show with tennessee sports guys with uh ryan and company earlier today um so talked a lot of all there's only so much to say about tennessee uconn um they blew them out it wasn't ever close uh took care of business best the offenses looked took care of everything got a lot of young guys a lot of playing time it was uh the first debut because of- the next bryce young 
he's not even just the next Bryce. He's just big <laughs> Bryce. Like he's just he's so good in the pocket. He's so good at managing like the way he moves around. It's just it's like watching a six eight Bryce. Like it it really is. And he throws a pretty ball touchdown drive on his first one. I mean, he's huge. His pocket awareness is the thing that blows you away. It's just he is so good at knowing when pressure is coming and he is uh, very, very comfortable throwing off platform, which Bryce Young obviously was really good at. The difference is Bryce had to uh, move out of the pocket because of his size and he can't just sit in the middle of the uh, sit in the pocket and just die, dice a team to death. Nico can do either. <laughs> Nico will be able to sit in the pocket and dice you up or he'll be able to roll out. And I just the flamethrower that Nico Iamaliava is going to put on the SEC the next two years. Like I was, I went on a rant where I'm like, okay, so Tennessee basketball is the preseason number one uh, in the SEC. They look like a final four team right now. Tom Izzo, after getting beat by uh, Tennessee last week, he said that they look like a final four team. So they're the best team in the SEC. So you're going to get a lot of that. Guess who's the preseason best team uh, in baseball? Tennessee Volunteers. Guess who uh, D1 baseball, the best guys in the business Whoa, compared Tennessee. Here? Hold on. I'm not done. The best team Pre-season in season uh, rankings. Hold on. We're not done yet. So Tennessee baseball obviously made it to Omaha to the last three years. Um, the best team of all uh, the last 20 years, two years ago. And then you look at this year and what he has. So he has a number one recruiting class Can't be in 2024. Can't the best team of the last 20 years if you don't win the championship. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It happens. Teams know. lose baseball. It's a long year. You can be, you can one be the best of the team. best, but nice. no, you can't be. You can't be the best team of the last of decades without you even win the championship that season. No yes, way. You can. Absolutely dominant. No. A perfect SEC play. No, they were. So, and then we keep moving. Keep Seventy-three it in move. and nine Warriors aren't the greatest team of all time. They didn't win the championship. I, guess I mean, that's how it, that's how it works. Okay. Well, anyway, continuing on here, the Patriots that eighteen and one year was still the best team of the last twenty years. Like they were still the best team that year, and one of the best. Like they still are. Like you can't take that disagree. away from them. Respectfully disagree. Oh, this is uh, you're gonna. This is grinding my gears. This drives me nuts. Uh, the Seattle Mariners aren't the greatest. Oh, one Mariners aren't the greatest team of all time. Like they had the best. You know regular season of all time but that's just that's that's just how it works that's how sports works i disagree i don't make uh, the rules but to put a bow on all of that you're gonna have a run here if you're a ball fan because the tennessee baseball who is now being compared to alabama football with the level of depth and recruiting oh, that tony vitello is doing do you want baseball that's not me that's the premier college baseball analyst in the country saying we have depth on depth another top 20 prospect just committed you have built a behemoth here and what i've said is like that's not going anywhere and then you get to walk into nico in the fall the stretch run here matt green is unbelievable the next year being a ball you it's just it's i'm gonna get tired of winning matt green i'm gonna get tired of so much winning so much winning here in knoxville tennessee that i don't know what to do with it you get to go into hibernation as a dog fan you get to go to sleep in january you get to come back in august like you get eight months off I have to deal with all this winning month I'm glad, after month I'm after glad month. You're loving, I'm glad you're loving the preseason predictions while Georgia's got the third longest winning streak in SEC football history. And the women just won the SEC in soccer. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're in everything school over here. So I don't wanna I don't wanna hear any of that nonsense. Mm. But um I but you went so far <laughs> off uh, off the tangent. So I had to bring this back a little bit. I'm glad we're keeping our expectations realistic on Nico. Talking about what Bryce Young can't do and what Nico can do. Like, Bryce Young was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Nico will be the number one overall pick if he plays and is healthy for two years. Let's start one game before we're saying he is anywhere close to Bryce Young. Nico is the truth, and that was so much fun. Two series. Dimes. We've seen Jacob Eason, you know, looked really good, had a lot of tools, you know, five star. There's also a statue in the pocket. Of course. I mean, there's a different reasons why different guys don't pan out, but yeah. we've seen plenty of five star quarterbacks that don't turn out to be the best player in the country. So we'll Nico, no, no hating on Nico here, but let's just let's let's not get too carried away here. Six eight Bryce Young. It's a good time. It's a great time to be a ball, Matt Green. I am going to get tired of the winning. Uh, well, I'm glad of- we didn't talk about Tennessee for too long. <laughs> Clearly, you were so Tennessee talked out. You didn't have anything left. But um, no. Look. So let's go into Georgia. Um, I felt this game felt different. Like this is 
this felt like you were playing a good team and you're satisfied with the victory, honestly. Like with the Auburn game and the South Carolina game this earlier this year for Georgia, I think it was a lot of what are we what's going on? How is Auburn hmm. how is Auburn just gashing Georgia on the ground and just getting oh, you know, getting to the outside and keeping this game close and everything? Like same with South Carolina, just kind of dominating the first half of that game. So those games, and it's like these teams are not good football teams. But with Missouri, it was like, okay, we know Missouri. We've seen them do some good things this year. And then you saw Luther Burden get the, the long touchdown early in this game. Um, and, you know, you, know, th- you know, this team's a good team. So I didn't feel – I don't feel any sense of negativity coming out of this close win like I did like the South Carolina and, uh, and Auburn wins. What did – I mean, there is a lot to take away from this game because I thought it was really good. And obviously, Mizzou fought really hard until the end. Uh, I think officiating was bad on both ends. But I will say it's still just one of those things where (laughs) they I don't know what pass interference is anymore. Like, it's one of those. I don't think the SEC knows. I think it's just they're figuring it out. Which ones are you talking about? Well, there was the one that they picked up uh, late in the game where um, the offensive pass interference. Well, the offensive one was weird where they did. That was like, I've never seen a call like that. I couldn't even know. Like, they call it on the guy that's running the route? Like, Well, they called it on Dylan Bell. They called it on the wrong one. They meant Dylan Bell, and they said Dejan Edwards. So, Dejan Edwards was just over in the vicinity. It did make sense for him. So, they said it was actually Dylan Bell, and they didn't mean to say number 30 on that. But they cu- pulled it off because it hit like it didn't hit the line, of the line of scrimmage yeah right? so they picked it up and everything else but then there was the other one where um uh they call it, they didn't call it on on georgia late um uh, with mizzou was it a third down i think it was a big third down on the right hand side um if you remember um but there was like on both sides. I remember there... one they complained about, but mm. I also remember a terrible one that was called on Julian Humphrey earlier in the game too. So it's like I didn't. I honestly, I think the biggest one I noticed was the the bl- like at least two or three holds on that long run by uh by Cody Schrader, like like that mm. thirty yard touchdown run. But I mean, you know, honestly, the worst one, and it, I'm glad it didn't have bigger implications because if Nazir Stackhouse scores on that pick six, that big guy touchdown, mm. and they the the block in the back or whatever they called on that were illegal blindside. It was literally Mondin like hitting the intended receiver like as the mm. ball's coming in and it got picked. So it's like it wasn't a blindside block or anything. And then so if Stackhouse goes to the house on that and we it's negated because of a garbage uh, call like that on the return, uh, that would have been awful. But that was the best moment of the game for sure. Like just seeing – I don't know how big Stackhouse is, 330, 340, just moving down the sideline. But – that was really the one time. Obviously, it's a 10-10 game at halftime, and and it's it's clearly a close game that Missouri is able to win. But it, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like Georgia was playing poorly. It, I just didn't feel it, like any kind of concern going into the second half. But when Georgia was held to the field goal early in the fourth quarter, and then Missouri gets it, I think nine minutes left, down six. I think that's the first time in the game it's like okay, they actually can come down, take the lead here. Uh, in the fourth quarter and that's when you saw the stackhouse pick and then that things kind of changed from that and and georgia in the second half had five second half drives two touchdowns two field goals and then ran it out at the very end so when the game was really on the line late the uh the defense got two fourth quarter interceptions like it it just felt like a a good like gutty performance against like a, a good team like i think missouri looks like clearly a top 15 team like you know, you want to be blasting teams and, and be flexing that you're the number one team in college football, but it's like, who's really doing that? Like, there's a lot, like, I think Alabama's been tied or losing at halftime of over half of their games this year, and, and they're still competing for the SEC and still a college football playoff contender. So I think, uh, you know, the one area of concern, I think, is is how many, did, Schrader definitely ended over the 100 yards. They had 151 mm. rushing yards on the game. This is the first year um, right now. The year isn't over yet. Georgia's sitting at exactly 100 yards a game allowed, uh, rushing yards a game allowed, and that's the most since 2018. Georgia's hmm. been under 20, under 100 yards every year since 2018, 
And that that's the one thing I would cons- I would be concerned about because 2022 the run defense actually allowed fewer yards than uh than 2021. It was in in the 70s I think last year. So that that's the one area that where Georgia do- is is good on the defensive line, but I mean it's it'd be pretty ridiculous if they could be as good as those 2021 2022 teams with all the first round talent. Interesting. Um, that's not good based on uh, who you've got over the next two weeks with uh, Quinchon Judkins uh, for Old and then uh, Jalen Wright and Dylan Sampson for Tennessee. Uh, but with that being week. said, so dashes I mean, it, are going to be there. With that being said, it's still the number two run defense in the SEC this year, so it's it's just not clearly above and beyond number one like it has yeah. been. So it's just it's one of the better run defense. Who's number one? Tennessee is actually uh, uh, one, one right now. I think mm. that's like 98 yards a game or something. Mm. And then I think uh, Georgia and T- a, uh, A&M, I think, are exactly tied, uh, giving up 100 yards a game. Uh, what's the loss of Dimash Johnson look like for them while, uh, the rest of the way? I mean, that's huge. He was a Buckus finalist last year, but um, I think he honestly hasn't had as good of a season. I think, uh, I think Mondin is the better pro prospect. I think Mondin's mm. kind of the better linebacker probably but dumas johnson is kind of that captain that kind of quarterback on defense but you've seen with what georgia's been playing at linebacker this year like uh jalen walker he he played his most uh snaps and he's usually being a pass rusher uh just because they're trying to find a way to get this guy on the field but he played the most snaps of his career against missouri on saturday and this dude just wreaks havoc when he's on the field just he's always making a play um, and then you got Xavier Sori was obviously the the big time recruit, um, but he's honest. He might not be filling in. It might be the, the other true freshman. Um, oh man, C.J. Allen um, that stepped in. I saw Raylan Wilson. Like I mean, those Georgia signed like what three of like the top five inside linebackers in the country last year, and so you're already seeing two of those guys get on the field, and that's kind of one of the advantages of the way Georgia plays. Like they. Even though Dumas Johnson and Mondin are the clear like one and two at inside linebacker, like they just get so many guys on the field, and it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a I don't know just the way they initiate their defensive players. Like in 2019, it was like Trayvon Walker and Nicobe Dean are part of the third down package, and like they're future superstars. And it's kind of like you just see those guys that are kind of in those third down specialty roles, like. By the end of their freshman year, like these guys are making an impact, and then by the sophomore, junior year, they're 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 star players. So I think there's definitely some of those guys. Like if there's one position, like even as good of a guy as Dumas Johnson is, if there's one position that Georgia is just absolutely loaded at, it's definitely linebacker. All right, I like it, and you have some five star help on the way too. Uh, I seem to recall. So there's just Georgia's going to be pretty yeah. lo- loaded at linebacker. Uh, Year in, year out. Um, what did Mizzou but there could do be an well? Intangible loss yeah. for sure with a guy like that losing a with that experience on defense. What did uh Mizzou do well that the Vols or Ole Miss can watch the tape and build off of over the next two weeks that maybe worries you a little bit? Well, I think definitely running the football. I think that's where you know Ole Miss and Tennessee both want to run the ball, and then they both have capable runners at, at quarterback so you know we saw brady cook was able to make some plays uh with his legs so i think there's uh it's tough to say brady cook might be the best passer of those three you know jackson dart you probably would say but i think yeah, milton I is dart. probably the, the clear third but so well, it's, milton's actually completing nearly 80 percent of his passes the last three weeks like milton's actually completing for sure he's crazy definitely amount of balls right now and i would have said before jackson dart absolutely went off on this texas a&m defense like i the i think missouri clearly had the best passing attack of those three team of those three offenses um so it's it's tough to say i think that it's definitely a, a blueprint uh for what those teams uh for what missouri did well and i think uh you know I would say Tennessee's probably got the third, the worst offense of those three. But you know, if it's if it, things are working in in at home and everything, it's it's kind of a whole different beast. But yeah, I think I think Ole Miss can definitely do some things that uh, that Missouri was able to do. I like it. Uh, final thing on Tennessee or on Georgia Mizzou. 
Um, biggest surprise. What did you think this game was going to be that ultimately it did not end up being Matt Green? I think uh, probably uh, jo- the way Georgia's offense uh, moved the ball. Like, mm. I mean, they were they were good, like I said, in, in five second-half drives. They scored two touchdowns, two field goals, and then ran the clock out to end the game. But uh, M- Missouri was getting multiple stops in the uh, in the mm. first half. I mean, that's why it was a 10-10 game going into the into the into halftime. So, I mean, 33 for 131 on the ground, like that was fine. Like Georgia's running game was was fine, but it it I thought Missouri definitely uh um did a good job of limiting the run, probably better than Georgia did. And then also, I mean, both teams had a few sacks, but I think that's that's definitely the most times uh Carson Beck's been sacked this season. So, getting getting some pressure out of a Getting some pressure on Beck, I think, was definitely something they did well. But you, you still saw Georgia without Bowers. They still have so many ways to beat you. There, there's so many playmakers on this offense. And Lad McConkey has gotten healthy and stepped up right at the right time. Like these two games against Florida and Missouri, um, he's really been shown that he's the clear, like, best best option uh, after Bowers. Um, It seems like Matt Green, Georgia, and Alabama are now on a collision course for the sec title game certainly what it feels like and i think i'm sure that's what a lot of networks and everybody else in the sec are hoping for because it it secretly hasn't been since the national title that we've seen uh georgia and alabama face off so it's been a little while um since we've seen that and i i don't know where i'm at with bama still because lsu the defense is still we knew coming in it was going to be bad the defense is still bad They're probably going to have to make some changes there this offseason. You give up 42 points to Jalen Miller on company. Winning at Alabama is always going to be difficult. And remember, this team only won by a point last year at home against Alabama. Like, I just didn't really see it uh, for for this year's LSU team. That being said, Jalen Miller had a really good game. Um, He was 15-23, 2-19 through the air. He ran for 155 yards and four scores. So I think that was the biggest thing is that he started running and it just didn't really look like a, the Tommy Reese offense that we'd seen those first few weeks and just kind of Alabama really struggling to find their identity and to figure out what works and what doesn't. This was more of like, we're going to let Jalen Milrow just do what Jalen Milrow is really good at and let him cook. And he had a really good game, like definitely his best game as a the quarterback for the Crimson Tide. And it's a little scary uh, on that end because he was really good and deserves a lot of credit for being really good. But... I don't know. Has your opinion shifted on Alabama following the the 42-28 win over LSU? Or are you still pretty dubious of how this team stacks up down the stretch here and uh, heading into the SEC title game and uh, everything else? I feel like two things can be true. Like mm. Jalen Milrow has definitely improved, and this is kind of what we said. It's like this guy is such a dynamic athlete. Like you can, you can mold a good offense around this guy and, and kind of hide what his weaknesses are. And this guy is an, inst- he's just a ridiculous athlete. Like the, 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 just how explosive he is, like how fast he, I really want to see what this guy does at the combine. Honestly, I, I guess this guy like running a four, three, like, I don't even know. He's, he's insanely fast, but it's hard to, so obviously he's definitely improved that, at Texas A&M was a game that I, I would say he probably won that with his arm more than any other game this season. Um, but obviously, four touchdowns, 150 yards on the ground. He is a playmaker. But going off on LSU's defense like isn't like the, the feat that it should be, right? Like Everyone's kind of gone off on this LSU defense. So I think if you're questioning Alabama's offense when they, once they actually you know, get in a game that's like put on Jalen Milrow's arm, like I think those questions are still there because LSU is what like the 97th ranked defense in in college football like they're they've been terrible this this season. So it's uh it's hard to it's hard to know exactly because like I said like this this LSU defense has just been giving up points to everybody. Yeah, I just are you scared of them in an SEC title game? Does this version of Alabama make you wonder if they would beat you on a neutral site in the dome? Uh next month i mean i think you obviously have to worry about alabama you're not, not just gonna like blow them out but um i think if georgia I, I would say as a georgia fan watching this game i felt like lsu worried me more mm. because 
Jaden Daniels is everything. Like Milrow is a is a ridiculous athlete, but he's got weaknesses. And Jaden Daniels was just dropping dimes. Like their receivers are just next level. Like I think these are first round pick level receivers. Like Jermaine Burton is fine. He's a good player. Isaiah Bond is is fine. He's a good player, but it's like they're not just these superstars that LSU has. So but because of LSU's defense, it's obviously they're probably not going to stop Georgia. But so Alabama's definitely got a better defense, and that's what can actually get some stops against Georgia. Um, but I think just with Kirby Smart's experience, this this team feels so much like the 2017 Alabama team that wasn't blowing everybody out, that Jalen Hurts was kind of a game manager, but was making plays with his legs and they could dominate most teams on the ground. And Georgia absolutely put the shackles on that team in the first half. This team doesn't have a Tua as their backup quarterback to throw in in the third quarter uh, like that one did. But so I think you would see Georgia approach uh, that uh, that team the same way of like you stop the run and, and make Jalen Milrow beat you with his arm. And they're probably going to dare him to beat him with his arm because I think that's the only way you can really beat this Alabama team. So if also as LSU never heard of a quarterback spy, like I never saw anyone spying Milrow this entire game. Like he would just mm. drop back and just take off. Like same with Jaden Daniels. I, I don't, maybe they were trying to spy him. They just couldn't catch up to him. But these, these two quarterbacks were just doing everything in the first half. No, for sure. And it was fun. And obviously speaking of both quarterbacks, what did you make of the non-targeting call on Dallas Turner that knocked Jaden Daniels out of this game, Matt Green? Oh, dude. I don't, I, it, it's so weird how like the discourse on football has like changed of just like, he got a 15 yard penalty. A 15 yard penalty used to be a big deal. I thought like getting a pass interference, automatic first down, a chop block, whatever. A 15-yard penalty is a is a big deal. So he he's not trying to do anything dangerous. And I hate people now bringing up, oh, he was the one who hit Quinn Ewers too. It's like he's a pass rusher who tries to sack quarterbacks, and sometimes he's gonna hit one really hard. Like that was just that was terrible to me. It was a it was a bad like it was a really hard hit. I think 20 years ago, it's not even a penalty. Like he's he's not like it's nothing excessive about what he's doing. It's just the the circumstances. He's kind of coming in high. He's not like leading with the crown of his helmet or anything, but he's he's coming in high. And in this day and age, you want to call it unnecessary roughness on a quarterback. Like that's fine. But like you want to eject a dude for that? That makes no sense to me. Like that's what we all need to be talking about when you're talking about targeting. It's we need to go, let's go straight to the punishment. It's like, so you think this guy were, it needs to be ejected from the game for, for doing this? Like, no. You get ejected for what dude for Texas A&M did in the Ole Miss game for uh, uppercutting someone in the nuts. Like, you don't, you don't get ejected for just playing a little bit too rough. You get a penalty for unnecessary roughness. Like, that's why it's a, that's why it's a penalty. Yeah, I... I think it's one of those where it was definitely 15 I just think we're so conditioned to look for targeting now. And I think in that instance, like it was targeting, like it, it is targeting. Like it is the rule where it's like, if that was an Alabama, if that was somebody as someone who played in Tuscaloosa a few weeks ago and saw a, an Alabama team that has been heavily penalized. I think they had five penalties in this game too, had exactly one penalty and it wasn't even a live ball penalty um for five yards that it just winning in a, in tuscaloosa is a little bit more difficult uh for a multitude of reasons but See, that was yeah. one of those where it's like is that if that's played elsewhere is that getting called like it it was a textbook targeting mat like i, I don't think there's any way around it like that i think the crown it's an of ejection. the helmet i think the crown of the helmet is very important when it comes to the textbook targeting like it's that's mm. like an unsafe play it's like forcible contact to like the the neck or head area it's like well if i'm taller than the quarterback and i'm coming in like you know i, I might be coming into his head in the head neck area like i don't know it's uh i it just we need to like defensive players have to have a clear definition on how they're allowed to play defense because you just see some dudes like getting called for penalties when they're actually like trying to do 
the safest thing and not like actually avoid some contact sometimes, but it, but it's late or something on a guy sliding. So I think you just got to give defensive players a clear instruction on what he's supposed to do. And in that play, in that instance, like I'm not really sure what Dallas Turner is supposed to do differently. He's trying to sack the quarterback. Like this is football. Like this is why I didn't play it at that level because it's dangerous, but uh, it's, it is what it is. It's um, it's a, it's it's a it's a physical sport for sure matt green um washington survives usc they stay undefeated do we learn anything new about either and we'll talk about something that happened in the fallout of this one but uh washington drops 50 (laughs) on uh, the trojans here and usc their defense still could not come through uh for caleb williams and company because Caleb Williams had a great, great game in this uh, for USC, and he's been great throughout. But the thing that you just you're just dumbfounded at how bad this USC defense has been all year. Washington, they're not a run first team. They ran for 316 yards, 7.5 <laughs> yards a carry. They gave up 572 yards overall, and this was bonkers. I saw this from ESPN. The this is the fifth straight Pac-12 game that they've surrendered at least 480 yards like it just took way too long and we said before the year like the alex grinch problem wasn't going anywhere and lincoln unfortunately he was loyal and he kept him around too long and now it cost you your best quarterback you'll probably ever have at usc because caleb williams is still just like an unbelievable talent that will not play an important playoff game at usc over these last two years because you didn't nail the dc hire and you could have adjusted this offseason you could have made a change and gotten ahead of this um coming into this year but firing grinch now with three losses just feels like man this is this is a season of what if, if you're a usc fan you're you're pretty sick about it at the same time like if i'm lincoln riley like i'm going to have another quarterback this good like how much better is are you is sure Caleb williams how much better is Caleb williams and baker mayfield than a lot better than uh kyler murray like a lot better those guys were superstars. They won the Heisman. They were number one overall pick in the draft. Like, obviously, the pro upside, what, say what you yeah. want. Like, Caleb Williams isn't, like, I don't know. He's not in leaps and bounds like the best quarterback I've ever seen play. Like, he's, you know, I, Justin Fields was amazing, like, in college. Trevor Lawrence was amazing. Like, Deshaun Watson. Like, we've seen Joe Burrow. Like, we've seen Cam Newton. Like, so many, like, generational, quote-unquote, talents. I don't even know what that word means anymore. I thought that meant, like, what is it from saving silverman one and only mm-hmm. means like one and only i um, have not heard a <laughs> saving silverman reference in a long that's a, that's a old long one. time but this game basically went exactly like how we i thought it was gonna go it's like i think usc's a really dangerous team for washington like this is a team we they begin to attract me but at the same time like they're USC and they're how many stops are they really going to get over the course of 60 minutes? And you saw not many, like they did get a stop there in the fourth quarter at one point. I think they had a chance to, to take the lead, but, but Washington was able to get a stop right back. But yeah, I mean, 52 to 42, like this, I think, what was it? 40, was it 42, 42 at the end of the third, like this, then they, then they started to play a little bit of defense, but yeah, I mean, this, this USC team is it's kind of exactly what you expected. I mean, other than the fact that this is Lincoln Riley's worst year as a head coach, the first time he's ever lost three games in the regular season, this is kind of what you expected. It's, it's especially since we talked about the Pac-12 being better than it's kind of ever been. So if you're if uh, some of those Oklahoma teams, if they were in a little bit better conference, they might have been exposed a couple times. Um, but you know, this USC team, like they're, they're not balanced enough to, to be able to take care of business in this good conference. And you got to wonder what that means going to the big 10, maybe, I don't know, like the, the complete opposite of the, everything that USC is doing is what the, the big 10 West is right now. Yeah. And I mean, the thing and the Washington perspective, cause Michael Penix was great in this one too. And we talked about how well they ran the football all over, uh, USC. The thing that stands out to me though uh, Bill Connolly, who does a great job for ESPN, he had his new S&P Plus, which I love going through every uh, Sunday morning here. And Washington's now 37th in defense in S&P Plus. One of the best offenses, obviously, in the sport. You can't win a title 
uh, 37th. And they got gashed by USC in this game. And I just think when you look at Oregon, who's like winning 63 to 9 every week, and Oregon just looks so complete on both sides of the ball. And I understand that Washington won uh, the game, but it was in Washington. Next time they play will be, is it Vegas? Where the Pac-12 had Vegas, yeah. yeah. I just think you're on a collision course, and if you're a Washington fan, you just are, you're just nervous because you're having this special year, and I just, it feels like you have this wrecking ball coming back and beating Oregon twice, this version of Oregon that we're seeing. They're just more complete. Like, Oregon still just feels like the more complete team, and I think Washington has some real holes and issues on this defense that I think is going to ultimately upend them, and that's going to, I don't, we, like, this is why you play the game, see how it plays out, but they can win out and get there. But for whatever reason, I just have this sinking feeling that we're looking at a scenario where Washington's going to walk into the Pac-12 title game undefeated and then go up against a buzzsaw hey, complete Oregon team and not be able to beat them twice. Don't um don't count out the Oregon State Beavers here, all right? True. They, uh, they're going to play a spoiler down the stretch here. And I don't know, I mean, if they could play spoiler enough to even get in the Pac-12 championship. I don't know if that's a thing. But they, they do play Washington and Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. now in the end of the season, but also <clears throat> who's the ultimate Pac 12 spoiler? Every year they spoil the Pac 12 because no one wants to pick them and they win the damn conference anyway. It's Utah, so Washington's still got to get by Utah. They, they've had some close games with Stanford and Arizona State. Like, I don't know, I'm still worried about Washington actually getting to the Pac 12 championship without a loss, Matt Green play this game uh each week uh during these recap uh shows nothing burger or something matt green usc fires alex grinch notre dame with jared parker next after another bad offensive showing at clemson do you think either of those coordinator changes are something that you're interested in and could be pivotal moments for both uh, marcus freeman and lincoln riley or do you think it's just we kind of know what both these coaches are at this point and what the programs are, that it won't be a gigantic hire. Cause I think these are actually huge hires for both programs, uh, depending on how things go this, this off season. No, I think they're absolutely huge hires. I think, I think definitely with, with Marcus Freeman, it's like, you know, when, when you're a more of a defensive coach, getting that offensive hire seems so much mm-hmm. more important because you kind of, you're trying to figure out where the, where the baseline is of like, you know, at least USC knows the offense is going to be good every year. But, but Lincoln Riley, like, I don't know if I'm a defensive guy, like you, you got to think like I could come in and make USC a powerhouse. If we're able to play competent defense, you don't even have to be good defensively. You just have to be not terrible because you're saying, who are you just talking about? Washington is 37th and, mm. and defensive. Like, we have seen teams win national championships like with with defenses like that. Like I don't know, you they know, were also the, the blue chip numbers, ratio though. But they had Joe Burrow and they had mm. Cam Newton is what they had when they did it. So you know, Michael, Michael Penix, Penix is just as good, by the way. He is a, uh, he's not Joe Burrow or Cam Newton. That's like the I mean, he's really really good. Seen. Michael Penix has definitely been good. And he's a potential high. He's not Cam. Like Cam's maybe the best college. He's not season Joe I've Burrow. Ever seen. Like, but. Joe, Joe Burrow is the best season I've ever seen, but but yeah, Cam was Joe just Burrow best season. Planet. I mean, threw like sixty touchdowns. Like it was. I'm just not disagreeing, but I just think it's also that was the more most complete offensive season I've ever seen. It like, was. I don't know Cam if I was a one man team. Yeah, like for sure, that LSU team was definitely loaded. But Joe Burrow was insane. Cam Newton was carried. I just don't think you'll ever see Cam Newton a player <laughs> just by himself take a team that way. Like I think Cam by no, himself. No, exactly. Was... So, but but USC is one of those teams, like what Lincoln Riley was doing in Oklahoma. Like that Oklahoma team in 2017 with Baker Mayfield. That's the best Oklahoma team in recent history. And mm-hmm. I think they were like the 40th ranked defense in the country or something. They were just like not awful defensively. And it's like, hey. We can win something now. And then all the mm. other years, they're in the 70s and 80s. And yeah, they're going to lose inexplicably to Kansas State just putting up 48 points on them one, one Saturday a season. So, you know, you, you saw Cal. What was the score of that game? Was it 50 to 49 or something a couple weeks ago? Cal, mm-hmm. USC. So it's like, if you can't stop anybody, you know, you, you can't, you know, you can lose to anybody. So I would think if you're a big time, and maybe it's a culture thing. Like Lincoln Riley prioritizes offense. If you're a defensive guy, you don't even want to go in there. But I would think if you're a big time DC, like going to USC, you know you can recruit the top level talent. 
and you can you can actually get them playing competent defense. It, it, you, that's a national championship recipe. Yeah, and if I'm uh, Lincoln Riley, like you're going big game hunting here. Like you need to resolve this in a hurry. I don't know who that is. I don't know who the best target is uh, for them. But if I'm Lincoln Riley, I, I take this very seriously because it's a pivotal moment for your program. Like you're going to keep you have the Zachariah branches. You're going to you have the five star kid uh, quarterback coming in. Um, Juju Lewis, the 2024 oh, or 2026 Carrollton quarterback. Maybe they'll bring in, uh, they bring in Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, that would be I mean, you need to think bold. He has a show cause. So you can't bring him in now. <laughs> is that but, right? uh somebody like that i would think bold i would think southeast like get an sec guy like yeah. an ex-sec guy would be where i would go with lincoln riley because you need some of those guys on that side of the ball anyway that's why you went in the portal and got a bear alexander like you need that would be a outside the box type deal that i think lincoln riley needs to seriously consider and then notre dame like there's a reason that you were trying to get utah's offensive coordinator uh once tommy reese left and not closing that deal i think has really hurt them like if you get ludwig from utah it's a big big uh, win for your program and we might be looking at Notre Dame a little bit different but I mean Hartman was awful in this game he was he's now 0 for 5 against Clemson in his career which is amazing that's a long college career uh, but Jeremiah Trotter had like two sacks a pick six uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. excuse me but uh, Hartman had a horrific game uh, in Death Valley and Tyler from Spartansville or wherever it's come from Spartansburg Spartanburg. yeah he uh, fired up Dabo. He turned the whole program around. Dabo owes him a whole heck of a lot because we have not seen Clemson look like that in weeks. And uh, I feel like uh, that kind of turnaround, uh, Tyler deserves a lot of credit um, for that one. But I'm excited to see how both coaches handle these big coordinator uh, positional change or cha- job changes because I think they're pivotal for where they are in their uh, tenure yeah. at their what schools. Clemson had like three guys in their secondary that were out for this game yeah. too and, and beat Notre Dame. That was that was a pretty big time win. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll be interested to see where Notre Dame goes because Tommy Reese wasn't exactly, you know, breaking records uh, mm. with that Notre Dame offense. So there's definitely some pressure for Freeman because I don't know, you know, what is this? This is on year two, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's been some good, but there's been a lot of concerning in the first two years under Marcus Freeman. And this guy didn't inherit a rebuild like some mm-hmm. of these other coaches. This is more of a, a Dan Lanning kind of, he inherited a program that was doing really well. And even more so than Oregon, like they went to a couple of college football playoffs. So um, the, the expectations aren't necessarily the same as they are for a, uh, for Billy Napier or, uh, or or someone that's uh, rebuilding right now. Absolutely. Uh, Matt Green, more concerned, Florida State or Ohio State playing down to competition? Ohio State's now 16th in S&P Plus uh, after their, um, their win on Saturday against Rutgers. They kind of struggle throughout on the road in that one. Florida State, I mean, Pitt jumps on them early, 24-7 win overall. I don't know. Who, are you more concerned about the struggles of Florida State or Ohio State playing down to competition in the last few weeks? I guess when it when you say it that way, I would be more concerned about Florida State because I think they're truly playing down to competition. Hmm. But Ohio State, it's like I'm. I think this is just kind of how good they are. Like this hmm. isn't a dominant offense, but it's a really really good defense, and this is just kind of who they are. When you're not scoring a lot of points, you're not going to blow a lot of teams out. And this score definitely looks a little better than this game was going. It was a little shaky there for a while. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think with Ohio State, this is kind of who you are. And there's a chance, you know, you can go all the way to the national championship winning this way if your defense is that good. But there's also a chance you're going to have to score enough. You're going to have to score some points. They they feel really like, you know, pre-offensive explosion Georgia. Like hmm. 2019, 2020 Georgia of just like they're loaded across the board, but the offense is just it. The quarterback play is holding them back, and it's just the the defense is like one of the best in the country, but the offense is just going to keep them from from blowing out just about anybody. So I think um, you know, obviously we know about the playmakers, but the playmakers have been there all season, and Marvin Harrison's doing everything he's supposed to do, and this offense just isn't as good as it's been in in, uh, in, rec- in like every year that Ohio State since Urban Meyer got there and Ryan Day. So I think uh, I'd be a little more concerned 
if I'm, I guess I'm going both ways because you're a little concerned of Ohio State because this is who we are, but the last one you got to get up for is Michigan. So if they beat Michigan, you know, this is who they are. But Florida State, I'm just not sure anyone on the schedule can beat them. But if you're if you're playing down to the competition, then then anyone can beat you. Louisville's playing really good ball right now. I mean, Louisville, they've won loss. Like they're Louisville. Yeah, are they legit ACC, though? I don't, their defense has played really, really well the last three weeks. And yeah. I mean, they look pretty complete. The numbers bear it out. Louisville's good, man. I, I don't know if they're best in the ACC good, but I mean, they're they're coming in. Then North Carolina, they you just nobody, Paul. I mean, I don't know. Louisville, I think, is a good team. I think Louisville's a good football team. I also think I North Carolina. Oh, go, go. Sorry, the um that that Notre Dame win is mm. not looking quite as impressive, you know, as the weeks go by, and then. They caught Duke at the perfect time, just absolutely injured and everything. So I I really don't. I say that jokingly, but I think this is why they were a preseason dark horse, not because they were actually that good, but because they were had a favorable schedule. So the rest of the way, Virginia at Miami um, and then Kentucky, like there is a chance they go into the ACC championship with just one loss. Yeah, and that could make that a whole lot more interesting. And then North Carolina, you never know what you're getting. Week over week, Matt Green. Um, Texas, they survive in overtime against Kansas State. That was a really fun game late. And then Oklahoma drops their second game to Oklahoma State to finish Bedlam, Matt Green. Um, Texas in overtime, uh, does that uh, make uh, make you wonder more about where Texas is at? Or is Oklahoma going down and dropping their second game uh, the year to Oklahoma State more of like, oof, where this uh, time to raise raise some eyebrows about what's going on with uh, the Sooners the last uh, few weeks. Yeah, I think definitely it's obviously Oklahoma Oklahoma loss, so that's definitely worse than than a, than a close win. So I think that this was huge because you look at Oklahoma State's schedule; like they might be favored in every game the rest of the way. Like all they have is the uh, the new kids on the block mm. in, in the Big Twelve left. They don't they don't have any of the. Uh, I think it's uh, Houston. BYU and uh, UCF, I think, for them the rest of the way. So, you know, good teams, but I think Oklahoma State should be favored. Um, but Oklahoma, I mean, I think you got to be – this is just year two of, of Brent Venables, but you got to feel like this kind of got away from you. You beat Texas and now to lose back-to-back game. And, and they've been messing around with a few teams this year. So they've, they've had a, a few close wins. Uh, and then – to lose to Kansas and Oklahoma State after beating Texas, like that's that's pretty demoralizing. No, and I mean Texas, good teams survive in advance, so I think Texas deserves a lot of credit for getting a gutsy win at home without your starting quarterback. Kansas State's just, a good team. Yeah, Kansas State's a great team, and you find a way to win, and I think that's huge. And Oklahoma State, man, they're playing like you said, really, really good football all across the board here late and it's a huge win and i it's also a great uh ending where they were playing like taylor swift we're never ever getting back together uh blasting in the in the stadium as oklahoma's going off the field and everything and it's a that's a cool ending for that i'm happy for, for oklahoma bit. state the reason yeah. it ended this way this is why we'll get oklahoma we'll get bedlam like sooner rather than later mm, because oklahoma fans no, I'm saying it. Bedlam. No, did come you get back. it? Like it, you saying. said, is it gonna? This is why it's gonna happen sooner rather than later. Oh shoot! I didn't. I definitely did that on purpose. Mm. Um, but yeah, because Oklahoma fans, they're not gonna be able to sit with that. Like no. Oklahoma State won the last Bedlam. Like now we need to. We need to get this back. The backyard brawl. I don't know how many time, how many years they were off. Uh, West Virginia Pittsburgh, but they got mm. it. They got it back together. So. Uh, I do love the I do love the song, the sentiment, but no, we we're, we are going to get this rivalry back together. Um, as we wrap up here, uh, Matt Green, it's our favorite game of the week. It's really your favorite game. Is Florida going to make a bowl game, sir? Because they just dropped an extremely important game yesterday at home to the Arkansas Razorbacks, who had lost like thirteen or less fifteen SEC games. Really in the tank um, this year. Fire your OC a couple weeks prior and Danny knows. They're really reeling. Sam Pittman, we talked about, like, what does his job security look like uh, the rest of the way here? And he gets a huge win on the road in the swamp 
with the Gators wearing the black jerseys. They miss a field goal because they get a uh, a penalty right before the guy kicks, and he's like perfect under 40 yards, and then the five-yard penalty puts him at 44, so they promptly miss the field goal at 44. Like little things like that that just, I mean, soul-crushing stuff if you're a Gator fan um, for this one. But Matt Green, I ask you, is Florida going to make a bowl game? They're five and four. Let me start by saying this. Can you imagine if we went in a time machine back to August and I told you through nine games, Graham Mertz is going to be completing 74% of his passes <laughs> and had 17 touchdowns and two picks. What would you have said Florida's record was after nine games? Like eight and one, seven and two at, at worst. Like this guy's balling. Mm. Graham Mertz is not the problem, and our and Florida still has dropped another one. And I was telling anyone who would listen that this Arkansas game, like that, was penciled in as a W. Like, okay, you'll beat Arkansas; they're terrible. But Missouri and Florida State, these other tough teams, Georgia, obviously, uh, late in the season, these these are probably going to be losses. Like now that you've lost to Arkansas, you can lose to anybody. Like you can obviously, Missouri is not this, you know unstoppable force it's not like it would be crazy if florida were able to beat missouri but this missouri team right now looks a whole hell of a lot better than florida and florida state definitely does not look like a win on that schedule so at five and four right now i'm i'm saying no i think they go oh and three the rest of the way and that would be five straight to to end this season so you think what What's the best opportunity for them than the last three? Um, what would what are the last three? Just for the listeners to know what we're looking at here for Florida down the stretch. Um. So, by the way, Napier right now is eleven and eleven, and that's the uh, the worst. The previous worst twenty two game start was Ron Zook at fourteen and eight. So really, the Ron Zook era wasn't very good, <laughs> and it was better than this. Um. So this week they got at LSU. After that, they go at Missouri. And then the final week at home, they'll have Florida State in the uh, in the annual rivalry. So, I mean, they're not going to be favored. They might be – they literally might be double-digit underdogs in all three of those games. Like, at Missouri, there's a – I mean, I don't think – The Missouri is tough be because happening. we'll see what happens against Tennessee. Like, if Tennessee blows out Missouri or Tennessee really put, like, if Tennessee gets that win, then Missouri suddenly is reeling because then they have back-to-back losses. They're not playing for anything. Like, then you could see, like, maybe the wheels are coming off down the stretch for Mizzou. I think that's the most winnable game of the three for them. I think it has to be, yeah. I mean, other than the fact that LSU is everybody's (laughs) get-right game. So this offense could score 45 against LSU and and this could be uh, an absolute track meet. So, you know, LSU might be the, the actually, it might be the most winnable game just because they can beat anybody and they can also lose to anybody. I didn't realize 11, 11 worst start since Ron Zook. Yeah. I think he was 14 and eight. I want to say must champ was like 15 and seven. And then maybe McIlwain was like 16 and five. It's like these guys were not remembered fondly. And uh, <laughs> they're all doing a whole hell of a lot better than Napier. And and Napier, I am not a fire guy in two years guy by any means. But if he's sitting at 11 and 11 right now, and we're talking about three losses in the season, that, that's 11 and 14. I don't, I think I saw a stat. I, I, I can't remember who who dropped this stat, but I like in terms of sec schools, I don't think there's an sec school, a guy that's lost had to back to back losing seasons and not been fired other than like Vanderbilt or like some of the other like bottom feeders in the sec. I, I should have come better with a stat. I didn't, I it was, it was half baked, but um, yeah. So if they sit at 11 and 14 after year two, like the fact that you're recruiting so well, I feel like people are, you know, they're buying Napier's vision, but you got to see something on the field at some point. Like, I don't think he's, I don't think he should get fired. I don't think he does get fired, even if they finish five and seven this year. But you're talking about like, you got to see something year three, or he definitely goes in on a hot seat in year three. I think it fairly or unfairly, because it, this was a rebuild job. Like you had to get the, the hay in the barn, but, um, I don't know. It's still the SEC, and it's still uh, unrealistic fan expectations. 
And also, if you look at their 2024 schedule, Matt Green, it's brutal. They get Miami and Florida State in the out of conference along with UCF. They go to Florida mm. State. They go to Texas. They go Damn, to Tennessee. Playing Miami and UCF and FS, uh, Florida State same year. That's awesome. Yes. I mean, it's awesome. Not if you're Billy Napier trying to save your job <laughs> because that's brutal. You obviously got Georgia in a neutral site. And then you go uh, to Mississippi State too, but that's obviously not a big one. But then you get A&M and Ole Miss from the West. Like, I mean, that just, I don't think do it's going to they have LSU work. next year? They do have LSU. Okay. I think 2024, they kept some of those rivalries. They don't know what they're doing in 2025 and on, but mm. 2024, we still got a, a good bit of the rivalries left. Yeah, I mean, it's it looks rough. You thought it was going to be a March the 6th this year. I think it's going to be a tough March the 6th uh, next year for Napier and company because I just I don't see the wins. That's going to be a tough, tough schedule. Um, well, there we go, Matt Green. Uh, fun weekend of college football once again. Um, week 11 is going to be electric as well uh tennessee mizzou at 3 30 and then we move right into uh georgia and Ole miss under the lights right after along with penn state and michigan and uh plethora of other big games that we'll preview uh, in the middle of this week but uh that is all i've got tonight my friend that's the one thing i'll give the big 10 the uh the big noon i i i disagree fundamentally with making your best game of your conference slate at, at noon but it makes for a great TV watching. Just get that big 10 noon game, then the 3.30 SEC game, then whatever the biggest night game is. It uh, It's great for the for the consumer. I'm here for I, it. I mean, I, I'm here for it too. And that's what you associate with the nooner is you just look for the best big 10 game going on and uh, you'll find it. Matt Green, always and a Maserati pleasure. Maserati Marv. <laughs> Matt Green, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you in a couple days. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.